0: Hola, friends, fellow listeners, and bears everywhere. Welcome to this episode of The Sound Barrier, Northeast State's official podcast. My name's Tom Wilson. I'm your host for this particular episode. And uh, we're very, very pleased to have Norma Sanchez-Webb joining us on this episode. She's an instructor of Spanish here at Northeast State. And Norma, thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? Glad to have you here.
1: Thank you for having me. I am doing well. How about yourself?
0: I'm good. I am good. Uh, We're coming to you, of course, from the uh, studios of the Entertainment Technology Department here in the TEC building on the Blountville campus. Entertainment technology, by the way, just an aside, if you're looking for a degree to pursue, entertainment technology, it's much, much more creative and fun than you'd ever, ever think it would be. So, Check it out, Entertainment Technology. Our friends make this podcast happen, and they can make a lot of things happen for you and your business. Anyway, Norma, let's, let's start off just to tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you came to, uh, came to be with us here at Northeast State.
1: Um, I have been teaching for 15 plus years um, and I've been doing I had been doing adjunct work for years and years and years also along with teaching high school Spanish and in 2019 there was an opening for a full-time Spanish instructor and so thankfully I was hired. Um, Spanish was the first language that I spoke Uh, I was not born in the US um, And so we moved to the U.S. when I was about seven-ish years old, and I was placed in a classroom, and I was told to learn.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. Yes. Just done right in the mix.
1: Things have advanced a lot since then. It was a full immersion, but it was more like sink or swim at the time. Um, But I just remember my teacher being amazing, and she sat me right at the front of the classroom and just was patient as could be.
0: What, now, what was that? What was it like that first semester? What What was the the maybe couple of the most challenging aspects of learning English at such a young age? How, how did you adjust to that?
1: Oh, well, the nice thing about it is that as when we're children, we're very very resilient. We are not worried about getting everything perfect. We're just worried about communicating. Can I make myself understood? And so it doesn't matter. Oh, I just butchered that word. Eh doesn't matter. Um, So for me, at that young age, it was easier than, say, as an adult when we are cognizant of, oh, that did not sound right. Um, And so it was just fluid. I just remember one day I couldn't, and then six months later I could. It was that that transition. And my brother, he was three years older at the time, so it might have been just a touch more difficult for him because first grade... You kind of just you're rolling with it. There's no pressure. There was no pressure in the first grade. Once upon a time, and for him, it was a little bit harder in the third grade because things were expected of him.
0: Oh wow. Okay. Um, Now, what did you kind of learn from that uh, that experience that maybe you'd like to teach? What What was something that kind of prompted you to think,
1: I'd like to teach? Um. Well, it. Um. When I took a master's class in. Uh, Spanish literature is when I got the teaching bug Um, I just you know I I took that class I had a fabulous instructor at ETSU and I just caught the teaching bug because prior to I had not had the teaching bug Um, so we have a vast population of students um, in this area and throughout the United States that are, they live their life on the hyphen. So they have one foot in one culture and another foot in their other culture. Mm-hmm. And so they're a unique set of students and that they need to be taught maybe a little bit differently. And so um, when I did my bachelor's, uh, maybe it hadn't progressed the way that it needed to. So um, my ETSU professor was able to fit my style of learning. She had had the experience of of bilingual students who um, do very well in this area, but maybe not another area. And she knew how to um, scaffold the learning for um, Generation One and a Half students. And okay. so she just she just taught me by example.
0: Okay. Now it, you, you mentioned the. You know, the, I guess the hyphen phenomenon mm-hmm. of, of kind of shared cultures. Mm-hmm. If you want to be successful in a shared culture, what did you what did you find uh, the best way to do that uh, as far as obviously moving into a, a new country, a new culture? How did you kind of all make that work? And I mean your brother, your entire family, mm-hmm. how did you kind of find success in, in blending that?
1: Um, well, for one, In my household, we were very, very, we were raised to um, cherish our culture, respect our culture, and keep our culture. Um, so when we were within the house, we were of a certain culture. When when we were outside the house, we were expected to acclimate to our new culture. And so when I talk about life on the hyphen, again, you have one foot in each one of the cultures, and you need to learn to navigate between those two cultures. Um, when to just be one culture, when to just be the other culture, and when it's okay to meld those cultures together.
0: Right. Right now. It- most of the world speaks more than one language. That, that's worldwide. People speak more than two, three, four languages in some places. What's the benefit uh, of doing that and, and kind of knowing uh, knowing two different languages, both from, yes, speaking, but also having that, that kind of better understanding of different people?
1: Um, I... um. I have a bilingual brain, so a bilingual brain means that for my monolingual friends, I have more gray matter because studies have found that with bilingual brains, it just causes there to be more gray matter, and more gray matter equals more brain. So um, it's the, the possibility to be code switching, like uh, what is acceptable here, what isn't acceptable there, and constantly monitoring the parameters. And for my family, um, the way we grew up, we needed to speak clean languages in both languages. So we were not allowed to mix them together, um, and by mixing, you know, Spanglish stuff.
0: Gotcha. Those
1: hybrid languages that occur when you're trying to communicate, and so you create a new language. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm very, very cognizant, uh, and I tell my students, I even told my students today, I can't break my Spanish brain in order to be able to pronounce that word wrong in Spanish. And so I, I do the same thing. I can't break my English brain in order to pronounce that word wrong.
0: We do really think in language, don't we? That, that's kind of or do we?
1: Yes and no. So um, I've had an opportunity to be an interpreter somewhere. And when you interpret, um, you have in a converse, in a fluid conversation, I have one person who might speak because I speak Spanish and English. Um, I have one person who might only speak English and one person who only speaks Spanish. And for the most part, I can keep the languages straight, but um, studies have shown that with interpreters, after about 15 minutes of interpreting fluidly, your brain becomes exhausted, and so when my brain becomes exhausted, it just becomes language, and so that means I stop noticing I am speaking in English, or I am speaking in Spanish, and therefore, to you, I only need to speak in English, and to my other person, I only need to speak Spanish, and I'll mix my languages up, and my people will be like, I just didn't understand a word you said because <laughs> I got the wrong languages. Because after yeah. about 15 minutes or so, your brain does get fatigued, and it just turns into language.
0: Interesting. Well, yeah, never, never really considered that from, that from that point of view. Uh, now, you, you talked about as a seven-year-old, as a mm-hmm. child, mm-hmm. of course, you're very resilient and you just jump in and start learning language. Why should, um, say, adults or even college age students not be afraid about learning a new language? What should not be like a barrier to pursuing even one or more languages to learn it?
1: Because neuroplasticity, that means we can continue to learn. And studies have found that um, when we pick up a new language, different things fire off in our brain. And as a woman of a certain age, (laughs) I want to make sure to keep my brain as nimble as possible. And playing an instrument, learning a foreign language helps to stave off dementia really it does it does because we're having to use those different parts of our brain that maybe haven't been used and so i believe that it is super you mentioned how in other countries um, they don't just speak they're not just bilingual they're trilingual and beyond and i think that we do our students a disservice here in the u.s by holding off teaching them a foreign language. And I mean foreign language, not Spanish, because Spanish is not the be-all and end-all, any foreign language um, until, say, a student is a freshman or a sophomore in school. And I was just having this conversation with one of my students, and I said, what if you are 14, 15 years old, the first time you're taught how to add? Okay. Oh, wow. Because they were trying to express a little bit of frustration because we go into, okay, I'm going to take one semester of Spanish and I'm going to be fluent or I'm going to be conversational. And so, but if I don't begin to teach you how to add until you're 14 or 15 years old, can in a semester you be expected to do algebra, geometry, or more advanced maths? So I think our expectations for ourselves and as a community. If we're not gonna take this foreign language until we're in college, then our expectations need to be what you would expect them to be. And so there are different levels of language learning. So there is fluent, bilingual, conversational, or there's just communication. I can communicate with you without any words. Did you understand what I just said?
0: She just glared at me, folks. Yeah. Yes, I got that immediately. <laughs>
1: All right, so that's communication. So, oftentimes, we want to speak in these beautiful, erudite sentences in our new language after one semester. We don't have to, you know, mm. there's communication, and sometimes it involves words, and sometimes it doesn't. So, if we can just master basic sentences to be understood, we're doing great.
0: Just, just one step at a time. Just One moving. step
1: at a time, yes.
0: You mentioned also like, kind of like playing an, playing an instrument, is learning a language and once you kind of uh, master some proficiency in it, is it like playing an instrument? You just kind of keep... You must stay in practice to keep good?
1: Exactly. It's just like a muscle, okay? Um, I am not athletic by any stretch of the imagination, and I am a woman of a certain age. So if I want to run a 5K physically, I can't expect my body to do that by Sunday. And if I don't practice, you know, that with couch to 5K, there are certain steps that I need to take to warm up my body to get there. And that's the same thing with language learning. It's a building block kind of of learning, that everything builds on itself, and I have to continue to use it or lose it, just like muscle.
0: All right. Just a muscle memory, but just in the brain. And the good the news
1: brain. is it's still there. If, say, you haven't had it in five to six years, the muscle memory is still there. You just have to reactivate it.
0: What do what do the best students do um, that you've, you've observed about when they start getting the language and start learning it, what are um, what are some habits that you've kind of noticed they have that really push them forward?
1: The the good thing that I like to see in my students is that they have fun with it. Mm-hmm. So I am not a math person. Love you, math department, but I'm not a math <laughs> person. So. And, and I understand that for some students, learning a language is not a fun so uh, fun endeavor. So let's make it as fun as possible. Let's make learning, let's, let's learning be sneaky. So what I suggest to my students is, why not watch Netflix? Go ahead, watch Netflix. Um, don't think of it as a formal, oh, I have to take notes. No. Just enjoy it. One of my favorite things to hear my students after the first couple of weeks of classes is say, I went to this restaurant and that restaurant, and I understood this word or that word. I listened to this song, and I understood this word or that word. And that is what learning is all about. Um, But it has to, for me, it's kind of has to be sneaky. So listen to music. Listen to that podcast in Spanish. uh, Watch TV. Go watch a foreign film in Spanish.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Hear hear the language in your ear.
1: Yeah. So one of the benefits that I had, now mind you, I don't necessarily recommend this, um, when I learned English was the full immersion. There was no other option. But I al- also didn't just, you know, it just wasn't vocabulary, it just wasn't grammar, it just wasn't these practice sentences. I got it in the playground, I got it when we went to eat lunch, I got it in the shops, I got to be exposed to different manners of the language, not just in a set, structured environment. Right. So it's more like caught than taught.
0: Hmm. Interesting phrase. huh? Uh, now, there are many dialects in, in English, um, is Spanish spoken the same way in, say, colombia as it is in mexico or as it is in spain or or is are there a little bit difference different um, dialects or how spanish is spoken in various spanish-speaking countries
1: so let me turn that around okay (laughs) so is british english and american english the same australian english Oh, no. Okay. So just like there are those nuances, those nuances are going to happen from country to country and from region to region. I mean, I go to the grocery store, and I need to get uh, something to help me put all my groceries in there. What do I call that? Is it a buggy or is it a cart? Okay. Okay. It's mm-hmm. just going to depend where I am in the United States was what I'm going to call it. I had a roommate who always referred to the radiator. Okay, Now here, it's, I'm going to pronounce it a different way. In Northeast Tennessee, I better pronounce Appalachia. But when I go visit certain family members in Pennsylvania, I better switch that to, to Appalachia. And I have to know when it's correct. So with my students, when I when um, I might, you know, emphasize how to pronounce something, and I might get a like, oh, seriously. So I said, okay, okay, not a problem. So I want to tell you that I'm going to go hike the Appalachian Mountains. And instantly I see the cringe <laughs> from them. And I'm like... Exactly. That's what I'm trying to teach you. That yes, you can pronounce things in different ways, but you have to know when in Rome, speak as the Romans. So, yes, we have different dialects in Mexican Spanish, Colombian Spanish, Castilian Spanish, Bolivian Spanish. Shout out to my dean. Oh, yes. Yes, they're going to be all of those different nuances and even words like. Um, I love to be on um, social media and listen to podcasts and books on tape. And I learned biffed up yesterday. So, so the person's cat got biffed up. And so obviously I had to go look it up. What in the world do they mean? Well, it's a cricket term. And so, so the cat got beat up.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. And biffed so up.
1: Um, a cookery book, a cookbook, the cooker, the stove. Gotcha. So I love and languages. I, I love English. I love Spanish equally. And I want to continuously learn the different nuances of both languages.
0: Isn't that, that kind of the beauty of language that every... Yes, there's English, Spanish, French, German. But every region kind of takes it and makes its own its own kind of very identifying culture with the language. And it's kind of the, you know, maybe the beauty of it all.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: For students coming to... for English as a second language stu- student uh, if I'm here at Northeast State. Um, wh- what's something that – well, let me ask this first. What can Northeast State do to better serve our English as second language students, the Spanish-speaking students who enroll at Northeast State? What's something we can do or maybe multiple things we can do for them, um, maybe a little bit better or maybe newer than we're not doing right now?
1: Our English language learners want to be seen. It is so easy to fall through the cracks. Um, When I was talking to you about the different levels, uh, conversational, bilingual, communication, there are all those different levels. For me to be comfortable to speak in a language, um, and give or take, again, numbers are not my thing, We need about 250 to 500 words for for me, for anyone to be comfortable in speaking. So oftentimes, our English language learners are done a disservice because they can have a conversation. They can be at a conversational level, but they're not necessarily speaking or reading or writing at a university level. Mm -hmm. Dr. Caitlin Chapman Rambo is our ELL, ESL instructor um, here at Northeast State, So she is able to come alongside of the English language learner in the comp classes to be able to scaffold so that they can have success in these comp classes. But Dr. Chapman Rambo can't go with them to their philosophy class. There's a set um, vocabulary that I need for university level philosophy, for the technology, the entertainment business, Uh, entertainment technology, you all have a set registry of vocabulary that me as a Spanish instructor, I might not have that registry. And so then as an ELL learner, of course, I'm not going to have that at all. So we need to come alongside of them, not just with the comp classes, but as they are spread out throughout the different spots so that they don't feel like I'm the only one who's not getting this. Um, we need the support for them to have the vocabulary that they need to understand the instructors.
0: What, what else can we, what does uh, the Spanish-speaking population in our region, in our region, and it's, it's growing, what, what also, and this is the long game kind of question, what do they need in terms of higher education that we can do at Northeast State? Uh, learning the language, of course, is certainly a part of that. What do they need in terms of the degrees they can get to go out into the workforce, join our workforce here and keep, keep, uh, you know, civilization moving forward, <laughs> keep our things go, keep things going forward into the, into the future.
1: Um, I think for our Spanish speaking Spanish speaking community, um, what Trio has done really really well is that they have come alongside first generation students. Um, so I'm going to get a little bit personal here. So I was not born in the United States. Said that. Mm-hmm. So I I come from a very um, machista society, and um, so therefore in my generation. In my mother's generation, in my grandmother's generation, compulsory education was very different than what it looks like now. So I have a grandmother I had a had a grandmother who went through the third grade my mother went through the eighth grade. Not that they were denied education, it's just that was the tradition, that was the custom, that right. is what you go, go to. And so we're having these our students come in from different countries, different Spanish-speaking countries, where compulsory education is going to be different. So we have the opportunity to come alongside of them because they might be first-generation, high school graduates, mm-hmm. high school graduates. So therefore, they might be first generation coming to the university. So for me, in my story, um, my mom looked at me when I said I wanted to go on to college, and she said, no, you don't need college. You're just going to get married and have kids. Why are you going to waste your money and your time? But I felt it was really important. And so I had many battles, many travails to go through all that. But then when it was time for my sisters to go to university, the path was laid. And it was much easier for them um, to do it because I had paved the way. So I want to be able to pave the way for my Spanish-speaking students here in Northeast Tennessee and to say, hey, this is how you can traverse this particular... Financial aid, what is that? How do I fill up this ap- application for this scholarship? How do I feel, how do I, you know, what do I need to do in order to graduate? All of these different things that for you and for me, because we we um, work in education, it's second nature. But for them, this might be the first time that they're doing it. So a mentorship program would be vital for our Spanish-speaking community because the Spanish-speaking community is very, very family-centered, and they are entrusting their child to you. So they want you to be, in a sense, part of that family so that they can see, hey, yes, I am here to help your Spanish-speaking student. I am here to answer your questions, your doubts, um, in order for your child to succeed in an academic setting and beyond in the community.
0: are kind of like the business office, financial aid, a lot of the those type of things. Is that more intimidating to those students than the actual academic work? Do you find or no?
1: There are barriers there for the paperwork. Um, we have to think that not only are they Spanish-speaking bilingual. whatnot but this generation and paperwork you know isn't necessarily you know filling out forms was more our generation right exactly so you know judicial but it depends on the kind of family because it depends how you know are they generation one and a half one generation one generation two because for me i was in my family unit i was the filler out of the forms so by the time i was 13 i knew how to balance a checkbook I knew how to fill out all those forms. Doctor's appointments? Give me that form. I will fill it out in 2 seconds. So it just depends where they are in that chain of are they a migrant? Are they what generation that they are? Whether they can navigate the forms or not. But I'm going to tell you that when I first applied to college, I didn't know how to navigate those forms. It was, you know, mess up, fill it out again, and, oh, no, you need to do this, you need to do that. But thankfully, I got to go to a community college, and they were there to help me when I did mess up on my paperwork. Right. Like, okay, let's do this again, and walk me through the process.
0: Yeah, cool. You've been a trailblazer in many ways, Norma. Wow. <laughs> Very impressive. Uh, now, we have to, always have to bring this this subject up in almost every conversation of COVID, of -hmm. course, in the COVID world. What's it been like teaching Spanish uh, the the fall semester and, of course, the spring semester? Uh, What's that been like as a Spanish teacher, um, talking to students, trying to, to, I guess, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is, was it more difficult to do it online and through web synchronous Zoom, that kind of thing, than it is doing it in the classroom. What kind of challenges have you kind of faced uh, doing or teaching Spanish online these last couple semesters?
1: Um, shout out to Michael Collins, the dean, Northeast State, for giving us the tools in order to be able to teach our students online, um, to all of those professional developments, all those cram courses, to my fellow, um, uh, to my colleagues for helping me figure out different things because I became a student just like my student like my students, in learning how to use that technology. Um, so it was a challenge. Um, I am more of an in-person instructor. I like to be able to read my audience so I can see by a furrowed brow or a, yeah, that didn't make any sense, whatever it was that she said. So I could, I can read my audience to know whether to continue or to back up. And You know, staring at blank screens. (laughs) I don't know, are my students understanding? Are they there? That was a little bit of a learning curve Mm -hmm. in order to build that sense of community where I could create a safe place because I have to create a safe, comfortable place for my students to be able to speak the language. So that was a very, very, very big challenge in not having that, not having that response to know, to to check the temperature of my class. As we go along, I get more interaction. I learn more through the technology of how to reach out to my students. Um, We we had the opportunity to create some master classes. And so in this master class, I got to rethink of, okay, now I am a completely online student. Where can I meet them? What can I provide that can help them advance with their learning since I'm not there, I'm not able to to see do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> right so so that was that was very, very helpful.
0: Has it changed your how you'll you'll teach going forward? I mean, hopefully we will be back in classrooms sooner rather than later. Let's all hope for that, of course. Yes. Has it changed uh, how you'll approach Teaching back in the classroom, have you picked up any kind of new tricks, skills?
1: Yes, um, the technology piece. I was a dinosaur <laughs> in some respects, not all the not all the way dinosaur, um, but in some respects, yes. The different applications, the 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 using the Zoom um, uh, program, um, Flipgrid, just. Uh, exploring just the actual technology that I have attached to to the book that I have, just all of those different things is just going to add another layer of enrichment for my usual classroom.
0: Nice. Nice. Well said. Yeah, hopefully uh, we can return to campus soon. soon. Norma, we have reached the well-known three-question (laughs) rapid-fire challenge. Okay. Are you ready?
1: I am ready. Bring it on. (laughs)
0: Question number one, fall season or spring season? Neither. Neither. I know.
1: I know. Can you believe it? Yeah, I didn't I grew up in South Florida. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen a naked tree before in my life. <laughs> so it's summer all the way.
0: Summer all the way, okay. Summer. Oh well, yeah. Well, South Florida, yeah. yeah. Year-round <laughs> yes. Year round, beautiful. Nice. Question number two hot coffee or iced coffee?
1: Sweet tea. <laughs> Sweet tea.
0: She's, she's doing the own answers here. Okay. Very good. Sweet tea. Question number three, dogs or cats?
1: Cats. Cats. Uh, I'm a feline person. Yes. Hey,
0: nothing yes, wrong with it, that. Yes. People love cats. Gatos. Gatos. Gatos.
1: Gatos. Excelente.
0: Oh, I don't know. I, I had Spanish in high school, and, and I I should have kept up with it. And, and
1: see, the muscle memory is still there, though. Yes, it's, it's, we can, do, and you have good pronunciation. Oh, Way well, to go!
0: I should get back into it, <laughs> as you all should get back into it, folks. Because this, we've come to the end of our uh, our episode here with uh, Norma Sanchez Webb. Norma, thank you so much. We can't thank you enough for being here and, and sharing just a part of your life uh, with us here on this episode.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, that's it for uh, for today, folks. But you know, if you want to get to take Spanish, take it here at Northeast State or French or any foreign language, it can only help you long-term. Remember that northeaststate.edu, northeaststate.edu, that's the website for Northeast State Community College. Click on there, take a visit, uh, scan around that website and see what the acad- academic degree, academic degrees and technical certificates we have to offer. And for The Sound Barrier, just go to the soundbarrier.net or the soundbarrier.com, smash that old subscribe button and hear episodes like this or many others that we've recorded. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Play. We're on iHeartRadio. We're on Pandora. All your favorite streaming platforms, we're on there. Just look us up. Subscribe to The Sound Barrier. And until next time, take care and we'll see you then.